When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Boland. Scott, is that listener mail you were holding? I do have a piece of listener mail. Usually we wait till the end, but um, sure. today we've got a another listener suggestion that I think we're going to follow up with in the form of a podcast. You know we love playing requests. Very exciting, isn't it? Yeah, what's going on? Uh, this is one from uh, Chad from Kansas. Do you mean roadkill? I mean Chad roadkill... <laughs> Last name, last name that we're not going to read, uh, from Kansas. That's right. And, uh, Chad wrote in and said that, um, he said, I would, uh, I would not call myself a car enthusiast, but they are the next best thing to what I love. I love motorcycles. Ah. I eat, sleep, and breathe motorcycles. That, that sounds being, difficult, but. Well, yeah, it sounds a little <laughs> rough on the lungs. Uh, that being said, I was listening to the podcast about whiskey cars and you guys asked for suggestions, uh, for books that we might enjoy. Um, and he mentions a book. He mentions a book called Outlaw Machine by Brock Yates. Ooh, and okay. uh, it's a history of the culture of Harley Davidson and the image associated with the motorcycle. Uh, you might know the name Brock Yates. He was the editor of Car and Driver for a long time. Um, also an author. He's got several books out there, but Outlaw Machine is one that, uh, Chad recommends. So we'll have to look at that. Um, and then Chad says, after listening to your podcast on Toyota, I thought that you maybe you could do one on the history of Harley Davidson. Um, it's interesting to hear uh, specifically about uh, the customization about of Harleys and the fact that you rarely see two Harleys that are the same, and almost none of the bikes are completely stock. Um, <laughs> just says he loves the variety and looking forward to listening to many more podcasts. So, Chad, I guess we're going to talk about uh, Harley-Davidson history today. Yeah, we hope you like this one. Uh, so from – we've got a couple of articles on this too since we, are, since we are a website as well. La-dee-da. Now, uh, everybody knows the name Harley-Davidson. I don't care if you like motorcycles or not. Yeah, I think everybody's heard this. This is, this is something you see them um, – if we did an iconic – Motorcycles 
from TV and film thing, a lot of them would be Harleys. Mm-hmm. Almost the majority. Um, like, you know, they're parts of classic uh, American culture. You got Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a great one. Yeah, that's a very good one. Mm-hmm. Probably. Well, that's actually the, uh, that's a, that's a chopper. Right. Mm, yeah. That is a, a uh, it's a Harley Davidson powered chopper. And that's, uh, that's really cool too. Cause, um, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the birth of the chopper breed. Uh-huh. Uh, of, uh, you know, they, they, uh, a lot of the styling cues from that, that vehicle went into what everybody thinks of, you know, like the, the ape hanger bars. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, the, the front end, it goes way out, but it's a cool looking bike. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're going to try to answer for you here, roadkill is, uh, what, what exactly, Led up to these awesome bikes we're seeing today. Well, we get our start with two gentlemen, uh, William S. Harley and his buddy, Arthur Davidson. Mm-hmm. And they lived in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And this is going all the way back, Ben, to the 1880s. So this goes back uh, probably farther than most people would think, but yeah. it goes way, way back. Mm-hmm. And um, and like I mentioned, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is very important now because that's where their corporate headquarters are found. Right. Um, and uh, what happened was these guys, they, they worked at a local manufacturing plant, uh, the both of them did, and they decided together that they were going to do something – Kind of new, kind of, it's new at the time, not, mm-hmm. not original. No. Other people were doing this as well, but they decided they were going to develop an engine, uh, an air-cooled engine that they could put on a, a bicycle. Um, so, you know, they're going to take this relatively new technology of, of internal combustion engines. Yeah. And they were going to apply it to a bicycle frame. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for power. Right. And there were, and so you might say that this is more of a motor cycle. Right, yeah, than, I guess than so. a bicycle, sure, <laughs> bicycle. Sure. Uh, but yeah, the uh, this this idea, um, the reason that we're taking uh, taking some steps to make sure that we don't say they're the first and only people who had ever tried to attempt this before, is that there were already people building motorcycles in Europe. Yes, but not there might have there are people in the states sure but they're not they're not near uh well as history will prove and as we will show you over this podcast they weren't as successful no no not as successful as successful that's right and uh you know it wasn't long uh after they developed this uh now this is an air cooled engine real small mm-hmm. engine yeah. not anything big at all i mean it's really really tiny they find out that it just doesn't have enough power uh to to propel the bike like they thought it would right like it's, it's it, it nice can, assist yeah it can maybe yeah, it's a nice assist, but if you're talking about power going up an incline or going up a hill, you know, or something like that with the weight of passenger. Sure, you're still relying on your uh, foot pedal power. Yeah, it's more like a hybrid exactly. than a motorcycle. That's, that's right, yeah. So it had, it had very little power, this first motorcycle, mm-hmm. that they, or first bicycle powered by a motor that they produced, right? Or right, that they, yeah. that they built uh, kind of on their own, uh, an mm-hmm. oddity, I guess, a one-off. Um, by 1902, they had designed, you know, of course they brought in, uh, they brought in Arthur's brother at this point. Yes. Um, this is a little bit earlier. Um, Arthur's brother actually helped with that first engine. That'd be Walter Davidson. Walter Davidson, that's right. And he was a machinist. So they figured he's the guy to talk to, you know, to get this thing mm. not really going. Well, by 1902, uh, they had already started work on their second engine. And they, uh, they actually, they, they kind of recruited another guy, another me- uh, mechanic. Uh, yes. To get more power out of this, you know who this was, Ben. You know, was this? Go ahead. No, you do it. Ollie Evanrude. And 
Who is Ollie Evanrude? Have you ever heard of Evanrude Boats? Evanrude Motors? This is the guy. This is uh, this is amazing the way these these two came together at this time in history. Mm-hmm. Um, later in his career, this guy is the one that would found Evanrude Boats, Evanrude Motors, Evanrude uh, Outdoor Power Sport. I don't know what it was exactly, but now he's just an ordinary engine building Joe Average. Yeah, he's just uh, just another mechanic that's out there. But he lives in Wisconsin. I think he lives in Cambridge, Wisconsin. He is a Nor- Norwegian American. Um, but he, he's later credited with inventing the first outboard boat motor. Mm. So, you know, there's Evanrude deep history there as well. Yeah. Um, but anyways, they get together, he gets together with the, uh, the Harley and Davidson brothers mm-hmm. and, um, they build a, another motor that has three horsepower bin. Woo! Three, <laughs> three horsepower. Thanks for the uh, sound effect. Kick three the tires ho- and light the fires, big guy. Yeah, three horsepower. <laughs> so this is 1902. They're they're building a three horsepower power assisted bicycle at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which by which we mean when we're saying that we mean that um, for someone to start the motor, they're like pedaling the bike to get it up to a speed. Exactly. That it'll it'll continue to run. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. This is still. Pretty small, you know, manufacturing facility here, I would say, because if you go online, you can find some shots of the original workshop that they worked in beginning yes. in 1903. And this is one of the things that you'll stumble across pretty easily, I think, if you, if you search for it. But mm-hmm. by 1903, um, you know, these guys are, they're starting to build these single, uh, single cylinder motors in, uh, this wooden shed that their father built that, uh, William C. Davidson built. Right. Um, yep. and it's just a tiny little place. It's 10 feet by 15 feet. Mm-hmm. And it's got, you know, handwritten on the door, the Harley Davidson Motor Company. Um, really tiny. It looks like it has four windows and maybe a, a like a furnace of some kind inside because of the smokestack. And in the context of the time, this is now. Let's remember the time period. This is not the time period of gigantic manufacturing plants. I mean, it's not uncommon no. for someone to have like a cottage industry level manufacturing. Exactly what I was going to say. This is a cottage level industry. Right on the nose. I mean, this is exactly what it's all about. They've got a father who is a cabinet maker, builds them this, uh, it's basically a shed, mm-hmm. uh, 10 by 15, and that's where they started their business. And by 1903, they only sold, uh, three motorcycles. They sold three, they manufactured three motorcycles One that year. Three horsepower? <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> like that, yeah. And then in 1904, again, three motorcycles. Mm-hmm. So, uh, very, very limited production in those well, first couple of years. Here's the thing. That's how many they sold in 1904, but they made eight. Oh, did they really? Yeah. I didn't know that. They were trying to get, um, well, I think they, they still, we see a small production number for them, mm-hmm. um, for most of the years. Eventually, um, let's see, in 19, uh, but there's a big growth here. It, it jumps quick. Yeah. In the ni- 1905, they made 16. Yeah. So they doubled. You know, it's interesting about the 1905 motorcycle. What's that? I got a little note here about this. And this one, this one really struck me. Their, their 1905 model was called the Silent Gray Fellow. And it was known to be extremely reliable, um, and had a gray color, of course, but it was known for its quiet operation. Now, Which is so weird. Can you imagine a quiet, I mean, known for its quiet operation, this is a Harley Davidson. We're gonna, and we're gonna talk about that Harley noise too. Yes. Don't worry about that, guys. Oh, we're yeah. gonna get to that one. But, but it's so strange. Um, the silent gray fellow. Yeah, and, and the crate, and here it is. It's a 450cc single cylinder bike again. Okay. Still using a bicycle style frame. So uh-huh. they haven't yet made a, a specific motorcycle frame for this thing. Right. Um, but it says to slow or stop the uh, the rider had to pedal backwards in order to make it mm-hmm. to make it do that. Mm-hmm. So you're uh, you're fighting 
the momentum of the motor at that point, or the momentum of the whole bike. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I thought that was really, really strange that it was named for its silent operation. And Scott, these uh, silent grave fellows are pretty successful because by 1906, Harley-Davidson is building 50 bikes a year. Awesome. And now we're going to go to one of one of <laughs> what I think is the coolest things. Um 1907, mm-hmm. there's a little motorcycle show, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the the Harley-Davidson brothers, uh, the HD crew, as I'll call them, uh, decide to uh, decide to show off their answer to the problem with their single cylinder, yeah. right? You know what I'm talking about? Sure. They're talking about the V-twin motor. Exactly. Which um, let's – like, let's be honest. This this changes the game. This is revolutionary. For yeah. Them. This is this is what turned it around for Harley Davidson. Really. Mm-hmm. This is what led them into some big time sales. Yeah. Uh, led them into uh, really becoming a household name for a while. I mean, fix that the pedal of, problem too. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So they've got this V twin motor, uh, which is really. I mean, it's even today. This is mm-hmm. iconic. This is the uh, uh, the forty five degree angle uh, twin cylinder motor that's really become kind of what you. It's synonymous synonymous with the name. Harley I Davidson think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, and that's what gives. Uh, that's that's part of what gives Harley that distinctive sound. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's part of that whole mix. We'll talk about that too. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, 1907 was really kind of a watershed year because you, you mentioned in 1906 they sold 50 bikes. Right. Do you know uh, – you'd probably know the number for 1907, right? Do I have – what is their 1907 number, Scott? I don't, I don't know about it. the number exactly, specific uh-huh. number. Yeah. But Arthur, who was apparently a great salesman, he could sell anything apparently, yeah. Arthur Davidson. Nice. Um, he signed up over 800 dealers in wow. ten in 10 years based on this design starting in 1907. So um, – 800? 800 dealers in wow. 10 years. So um, now they're all across the United States and in, in you know the lower 48 at the time, and uh, they so this is what five years after the first Harley. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They've got the Detroit police that bought an entire fleet of motorcycles. Goodness! And by 1925, there were more than 2,500 police units in the United States that were riding Harley Davidson motorcycles. So these became the uh, the street cruisers of choice, right? For uh, law enforcement. And it's no surprise, really, because if you think about it, if you're law enforcement, especially if you're in a city of some sort, mm-hmm. a motorcycle would be invaluable. Oh, definitely. Even even at the time. I mean, there was mm-hmm. still light traffic. There wasn't really – it wasn't you know, mm-hmm. nearly as crowded as it is now. But still, maneuverability, just mm-hmm. – uh, I mean, everything about it made sense for a patrolling officer to have a motorcycle on the streets at certain mm-hmm. times of the year, depending on the climate and you know things like that. But mm-hmm. um, very dependable machine. Um, able to carry all the gear that they needed to at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, to this day, still used by a lot of law enforcement agencies on the road. So our Harley guys, Harley Davidson brothers, seem pretty well set up, don't they, Scott? Yes, they do. They've got the uh, they've got the world ahead of them in maybe five years, five odd years. They've really started to make a name for themselves and make some some serious change. Sure, I think it's safe to say that they've moved out of the shed at this point. And we both know Murphy's Law, so we know what happens every time something is going relatively well for everybody. Something unexpected. There's a plot twist. In their case, it is World War One. Ah, but you know what? Didn't work out so bad for the Harley brothers. No. I'm <laughs> no, sorry, the, the Harley Davidson brothers. Yes, Harley Davidson. That's the better way to say yeah, it, I yeah, suppose, yeah. because, um, yeah, they, they, uh, 
oddly enough, and this was kind of unheard of until this point, of mm-hmm. course, um, they were able to provide motorcycles to the military for use in World War One. Yes. And I don't know why I hadn't thought of this, but I, I was thinking for some reason that World War II was kind of the first war that uh, Harley had been. That in, kind of partnership. Yeah, exactly. That they, and I, I guess maybe it's because of, you know, the, the auto industry shutting down and, you know, all, mm. all everything that went along with that. But uh, World War One. Yeah, they were they were in production long before World War One. Yeah. So, um, you know, this seems to make a good fit that they've got mm-hmm. soldiers and you know infantrymen that are that are mm-hmm. able to patrol on these bikes. And um, didn't they say that one of the first riders into the war um, into Germany was on yeah a Harley on a Harley bike? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They even mentioned the soldier here somewhere. Roy Holtz. Yes. Um, was the first. Um, American GI to enter Germany, and he was on a Harley Davidson. And it's no wonder, too, because at this time, also, we got to consider like Harley Davidson's success. Um, a lot of it is based on this engine, really. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of it is also based on the salesmanship abilities of Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's not act like this is all just an engine and a good salesman because they also have technological innovations on the way. Like they invent one of the first clutches for this stuff in 1912. Interesting. And then they've also got, um, they start working with, uh, chain drives, uh, in 1914, they've got a two speed rear hub. So, and then they move up by 1915, they actually hit proper three speed transmissions. Yeah, do you know how efficient these things were too? Uh, extremely efficient. They, I mean, their first, and I've got to uh, mention this because, yeah. um, their first notable success was in the early 1900s. It was 1908 where, um, Walter Davidson rode in the Jack Pine Endurance Run. Oh, cool. Okay. And, yeah. um, it, the bike was, of course, it was reliable, but it won an economy contest, uh, getting 188 miles per gallon. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't As it? As someone who drives a Monte Carlo, that could change my life, Scott. It's unbelievable. 188 <laughs> miles per gallon in 1908 is what this thing was getting. Yeah. So, um, and now, I, I mean, they were fast. They were mm-hmm. efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the time, they were also setting speed records. Um, you know, like on board tracks, on sand in mm-hmm. Daytona. Yeah. Uh, they had all kinds of speed records that were they were winning as well. So, they're getting into racing at this point. And, uh, this is where, this is kind of a, a <laughs> this is an important part of their history, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I see it as that. I mean, maybe it's just a footnote, really, but it's carried on through today. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's not a footnote. It's well, part of the story. What's, yeah. what's, what's, what's a nickname for Harley Davidson? It is a hog. That's right. And do you know why it's called hog? You probably do, but. Oh, what? No, actually, should, I don't know why it's called a hog. You, you really don't. Okay. You this really is don't. a, uh, the, the, the term hog, uh, comes from, uh, Back in the early 1920s, um, you, you guys, Scott has Scott has some notes here. With I could see that. Does that say the term hog? It says the first hog. The first hog, and there's a picture of a Harley David. You know what? This is another thing. I'm I'm going to get off on a little bit of a tangent here. Let's go, man. I love tangents. Take a look at some of these Harley Davidson riders from the Harley Davidson team that raced in the early 1920s, 1930s. Yeah. They've got those, it's almost like a really tight sweater that has knitted into it Harley Davidson on the front and, uh, you know, like a leather cap and the, oh, the nice. goggles and everything and the gloves. Um, usually wearing a t, you know, long sleeve t-shirt beneath it or something. Mm-hmm. These guys are covered with grime and grit, and they're on those really cool-looking old bikes. It's just a neat scene, and yeah. they've got you know the the trousers that are that are pushed into their socks, you know, with the tall boots and everything. It's really kind of a cool-looking, uh, I don't know, racing. Uh, I hate to say outfit, but uh, well, moment suit, in racing, racing suit. Yeah, okay, that's a better. Way that's to say a little it. better. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this photo that I'm looking at here, 
<laughs> there's a there's a guy in one of those outfits, and he's of course covered with road grime and everything, and people are standing around him smiling, but he's got a pig in his arms, kind of like you'd hold, uh, well, let's just say a wiener dog. Okay. Yeah, like you'd hold a wiener dog under your arm like a football almost. Yeah. It looks like he's giving it a drink of beer. And Finally. Uh, there's got to be a story to this, right? Yeah. So here's here's this uh, this hog association, as according to the uh, the, the company archives, um, in the 1920s, the official racing team name was the Wrecking Crew, the Harley Davidson Wrecking Crew. Sounds cool, pessimistic, yeah, pretty, but cool. Pretty cool, yeah. And uh, so they had, you know, they I guess they dominated the uh, the dirt track races that they entered. Yeah. But <laughs> they they brought on this non racer, uh, which is a small pig. Kind of a little mascot that they would yeah, keep with okay. them at the track, right? And I don't yeah. know why they did that, but for whatever reason they did. And whenever a Harley Davidson team member would win a race, he would pick up this little pig that they had on the sideline, a small little pig, mm-hmm. and carry it around with him on the victory lap. <laughs> and it became this kind of thing that they always did after every victory lap, right? And of course they're winning a lot of races. Right, yeah. People are noticing this. Of course it happens all over the place. And the media starts to call them, uh, the Harley Hogs. Now oh, the Harley yeah. Hogs, you know, uh, the wrecking crew kind of stuck around. Harley Hogs stuck around, and then eventually the wrecking crew went away, and the Harley Hogs uh, developed, kind of morphed into just the Hogs. Wow! And so that's how it happens. Exactly, that's how it happens. So um, there's a lot of really cool photos of of these racers holding a thoroughly confused pig, a, a pig that is, you know, <laughs> looks like it's partaking of some beer here, but um, some victory beer, but. Um, yeah, that's how that's where it came from. And there's some funny photos, so check it out. And pigs are smart, dude. I bet you that pig knew what was going on. Oh, probably. Yeah, he's uh, he's milking this for all it's worth. So here we are now. We've we've weathered. We're Harley Davidson Company. We've weathered a world war. Mm-hmm. We've really got our chops racing. Mm-hmm. Our pork chops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, very good. There's nothing that'll make up for that. I apologize to the listeners. Um, and now we start getting into some more of their – let's do – do you want to do like their post-war years? Hmm. Well, you know what? Um, during the war – Okay. Um, I mean they, they joined the war. Of course, America joined the war in uh, 1941. And again oh, – yes. Again, I mean Harley was right there. So they uh, they were able to produce motorcycles. They, they devoted all of their output to uh, the military from 1941 all the way through 1945. Which was not uncommon. No, and this is a lot. Of mm-hmm. motorcycles, we're talking about eighty-eight thousand uh, models for the U.S. military, and they built about twenty thousand for the Canadians. So, um, mm-hmm. more than a hundred thousand bikes were built during that period for strictly for military purposes. Mm-hmm. And they had pretty much stopped, or they had stopped. Um, I don't know if it's completely stopped or just you know somewhat stopped um, production for you know just citizens. Well, they you know here here's something interesting, and I do want. I'm glad you mentioned this because I want to talk about it. It it seems maybe a little weird to people, but it makes complete sense just because when you're manufacturing vehicles like this, there is a bit of a zero-sum equation. Mm-hmm. You can only make so many per year, and demand, especially if you have a contract with the U.S. government mm-hmm. in the middle of a world war, you just you just can't make as many bikes. Sure, yeah, you just you well, yeah, you do what you have to do, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, they were able to make, um, like I said, eighty-eight thousand for the U.S., twenty thousand for the Canadians. Um, mm-hmm. Now the, the war, by the time the war ended, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these servicemen come back, and the the problem is that you know the civilian production had stopped, so right. there, there really are no new Harleys around from you know prior to nineteen forty. Yeah, and uh, these guys are you know kind of 
a lot of them are used to having Harley around. You know, they had them in service, mm-hmm. and uh, they want one again, so they're able to buy army surplus motorcycles, and there's lots of them to be had. And uh, yes. kind of interesting because I think that's you know some bikes that a lot of people would like to have these days. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but there's still a bunch of them out there, and uh, a lot of them started. You know, this is the kind of a new trend at the time. You know how hot riding was kind of new at the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what they started doing with the motorcycles. They started hot riding these motorcycles mm-hmm. and uh, modifying them, and you know, shortening the fenders, and you know, beginning to get into this kind of uh, chopper mm-hmm. um, um, breed of motorcycles that you know, a lot of people to this day love. Yes, absolutely, and and they've got a. Uh Oh, let's see where do we want to go, Scott. I, I I've got to apologize. As we're talking, I'm going through my notes mm-hmm. and I'm trying to uh, just for listeners who uh, like our show enough to listen regularly have probably realized that uh, you and I leave the booth at, at HSW headquarters every time we do a podcast. Mm-hmm. One of us might not even get out of the room before we realize we missed something. Oh, usually I read the email address and then I slap my forehead. That is that Same. is what usually happens. I, I really do saying I've forgotten something, something important. So, um, you know, watch for that along the way. But I'm sure yeah. it'll happen. But uh, we're trying to hit everything that we can here without can I, going can, too deep. Can I do a sidebar? Yeah, please. Um, so, by this point, where are we? We're we're post war years. Sure. So we're post World War II. By this point, we start to see um, a 180 from the idea of the silent gray fellow. Yes. This is where we start to really get into that distinctive noise, um, which hopefully I'm not going to embarrass myself trying to impersonate it. So I'm going to pause in hopes that our producers will throw one in. Okay, so hopefully that was, <laughs> that was either dead air or motorcycle sound. Yes, yes. Please fill in One fill in the, the blank for yeah. yourself. So what what is it, Scott? What's the deal with that with that angry uh, angry lion? They uh, have? Well, like we mentioned, it it comes from that V twin forty five degree angle uh, you know engine that, uh, yeah. that they've kind of developed on their on their own way back in history back in nineteen oh nine. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, recently it's not all that unique. And, you know, a lot of other manufacturers are doing the same kind of thing and they get a very similar sound from it. Right. Here's, a, here's kind of a little side note on this. If you want, um, and this is kind of a, a myth that's been thrown around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you, your, your smile no- shows me that you know what I'm talking about here. Have you ever heard that the Harley Davidson sound is a registered trademark? I have heard that. Okay. You know that it's, um, I'm just going to tell you, it's not really true. I've heard it, but it isn't true. It isn't true. With this note, um, they did try. They did try to, to register the trademark Harley Davidson or the, the Harley Davidson sound as a trademark, and uh, unfortunately, it just didn't work out for them. Uh, this is, goes back to 1994, hmm. and uh, you know, there's that distinct um, Harley Davidson exhaust the sound pop, that we, pop. yeah, we all know the sound. We've yeah. heard it in traffic. You've heard it on the road, mm-hmm. wherever. So it's a V twin engine. It's got this. Common crank pin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so for everybody listening, it's two pin, pistons, but it has one pin. That's right. Yeah. So you know, it's got this kind of interesting at the time unique motor. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll find out soon that it's not so unique. But right. um, 
anyways, they they tried to get the sound trademarked. You know, they made several recordings and said this is what it sounds like. And you know, they they had the whole full legal description of what it sounds like. And, and here's a mechanical uh, illustration of why it sounds this way. Exactly. Yeah. And, and here's how we do it. Mm. And uh, the the problem was that they got a lot of uh, a lot of competitors were arguing that they use the same type of engine. And okay. really, it produces the same type of sound. So, mm. in order to trademark that, it would be very, very difficult to say that you know this is this is our sound. You can't make this sound anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's impossible, but they put up enough of a fuss that it went on for about six years. Ben, this this argument. Wow. And Even when they knew they couldn't get it. Yeah, I knew, and it, and, and it looked like uh, there's going to be just no end in sight to this uh, this very costly litigation that yeah. happens with something like this. And, uh, you know, the competitors were going to fight it right to the very end. So Harley eventually in the year 2000 just withdrew the request for the trademark. And uh, it's not a trademark sound. So that's, uh, that's putting that rumor to, to bed. But uh, I've, got, I've got a pretty cool sidebar really briefly about why that noise happens. Oh, great. And it is, here's how it works. So we've got the Harley engine, as my astute co-host has said, two pistons, one pin. And so usually a piston is firing like uh, – Every revolution of the pen, right? Mm-hmm. 360 degrees. So in a Harley engine, what happens is the first piston fires and then the next one fires at 315 degrees. Hmm. And after that, there's a gap, 405 degrees. Weird, right? Cause it's more in a circle. Okay. And then a piston fires again and then the next piston fires. And that's why there's that weird pop, pop. Because so it's a very irregular sound. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like that because of the way the pin and the piston rods are working together. Interesting. So it's a loping sound. Yeah, that's a great description, that's, Scott. Because okay. so that's the unique sound of the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just saying that because you know it's one of those things that you always wonder about when you hear a hog, mm-hmm. and and also. You've got to wonder if they just had aggressive marketing that made them say, oh, it's unique, or if there was a mechanical reason, and that is the reason. Hmm. So there is a mechanical reason for that mm-hmm. sound. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, so I just well, I can, I can understand then why they would want to trademark that sound at that point. I, I, can, I can see that. We're on the edge of something very important, Scott, if you're talking about 2000. Uh, let's hear it. Are we going? Are we uh, going well, to the next year? We've know, got some more stuff to do. How about I think. this? Hey, let's let's do a short little bit here, and then uh, and then you can bring it up to date. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, we're talking about just post-war, and I'll make this quick. I promise. But, oh no! Um, take your time. Man. There's this this uh, this onslaught of of cheaper competition. When I say cheaper, I mean a little more inexpensive. Right. Um, because imports. This largely. is where you're getting you know some of the British imports, the Japanese imports, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, it was such a tough time for them to try to compete in this world, you know, with the lots of competition, which they didn't have before. Yeah, I can't um, believe I almost forgot this part. Yeah, they uh, they were purchased by American Machine and Foundry, which is AMF, in 1969. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at some of the, the Harley logos, you'll see AMF. Pasted you know, on there, Of course, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, you notice, again, that's another kind of interesting thing. Look at the Harley logos through history because they change often. Yes. And there's some really cool ones and there's some that, you know, eh, so-so. But um, <laughs> yeah. they're back to, to getting some really cool ones in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so they went through these really, really difficult times. And then by about 19 – I think it was 81. Uh, that's mm-hmm. when the senior management of Harley-Davidson – uh, bought the company back from AMF, and then it was strictly Harley from that point on. Right, yeah, because this, the when this comes around, uh, when Harley is able to sort of buy its own freedom, mm-hmm. I guess you you could look at it this way. Um, we have to understand during the seventies, um, during this period of time, that Harley's reputation suffered. Mm-hmm. 
um, to the point where one of my, um, what uh, a good friend of mine um, named Ron is 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 a biker, and he's retired now, which means he bikes all of the time, mm-hmm. like cross country. And uh, he was one of the first guys who told me uh, about, I, you know, when I was little, he told me about his uh, his Harley that he owned. Uh, and this is, you know, I'm a kid. Uh, I'm a kid at the time. He's a lot older than me, and he's like, he's like, this. I got this Harley. It's from before you were born. And I was like. Oh wow, that's so cool! What what an awesome bike! He's like, no, this isn't an awesome bike, Ben. It was from 1974. He's like, that's when you had to buy two Harleys. <laughs> and you know, if yeah. you're if you're a bike rider, you know the joke. Uh, people used to say you got to buy two Harleys, one to keep on the road and one for spare parts. Yeah, so he would uh, he'd want one prior to that or after that. Then he told, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a really weird conversation. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, the, that's what you want—the one the prior one or the one after that period, mm. because when Harley did not own itself. A lot of the bikers, a lot of the fans of Harley Davidson really felt that the quality of the bike decreased. So from 69 till 81, uh, there was a bit of a, um, a bit of an issue with quality. No, you'll hear people saying that. Yeah. 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 That's a dispute. I mean, you can, you can argue that either way, I suppose. Right. I've never, I've never ridden, um, a Harley from that time. I didn't get to ride the bike he was complaining mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is something that I've heard. Have you ever ridden a Harley? I have, yeah. I have been riding on one. I have not driven it. Ah, that's okay. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah, haven't? No, I've just been around them. I, I like the way they sound and, uh, they look awful heavy. They're, <laughs> they're so, they're so cool, man. It's addictive. <laughs> Our guest producer today, Tyler, is actually working for the enemy because he is an avid, uh, motorcycle enthusiast and he owns a Triumph. Yeah, very cool bike though. Very cool bike. Yeah. Very cool bike. Very cool bike. I don't want to get us off subject. Nope, nope, nope. So now we're back in the 1980s. Back in the 80s. And um Harley yeah. has bought its free. Yep. So it's uh it's still, you know, still got its name. You mm-hmm. know, it's got its, its Harley Davidson name and everybody recognizes it. Yeah. Um uh, but it's coming back on strong and by about 1983, you know, they're starting to form these groups that, you know, have a lot of different members, like 30,000 members I think in the first year is what they said. Uh the Harley Owners Group which yeah. HOG, Harley Owners Group, Hog. Do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I think now, uh, there's a million plus, uh-huh. something like that. There's, there's way over a million people. And, uh, you know, it was a good move on senior management's part to, to purchase that back from AMF and try to, uh, restore the name. Absolutely. Because, uh, it really led to kind of a rebirth of the company. Yes. And, uh, when we're talking about that membership and the fans, of course, we know we're not talking about, we haven't mentioned the biker gangs, guys. It's not because we don't want to. It's just because we've got so much on this one. That's another, it's another podcast. It's a story for another day. That's right. You know what? We have an article on the Hells Angels. Yes, we do. We do. I was looking at it earlier today, actually. You know, can I mention one thing that I have mention to mention? Five. I feel like I have to. I'm a, I'm a kid. I was, I was born in, Early seventies, yeah, and uh, I grew up watching Evil Knievel on television. Oh yeah, Evil Knievel's bike was a Harley Davidson. Um, at a certain point, you mm. know, before that, I think he was on an import as well. But um, he did have a Harley Davidson. He had a nineteen seventy two Harley Davidson XR seven fifty. You know where that bike is now? I would imagine it's in a museum. The Smithsonian. <laughs> it's in the Smithsonian. So um, that's a that's a big time deal to have it in the uh, Smithsonian yeah. collection. I think, but. Um, it was chosen for, from him, you know, by him rather, uh, because, and this is funny when you look at it, he chose it because it was lightweight and dependable. Well, now lightweight is where I chuckle. I mean, yeah, dependable, yeah. I understand. You know, right. of course, he, he wanted a dependable bike, but, um, it was about a 300 pound bike. That's mm. kind of a big bike. And when you look at it, it doesn't look like a, uh, a sport bike like today. No. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty lean looking, but, mm. 
again, 300 pound Harley Davidson bike. I mean, it just doesn't seem like something I would try to want, you know, want to try to attempt uh, to jump 16 buses with. I don't know. Let's say Caesar's Palace, uh, fountains. There we go. Something yeah. like that, yeah. you know? Um, it's it just interesting the way he was thinking back or way everybody was thinking back then. Mm. I mean, it's just so big. Now, what do you, uh, where are we? Are we in year 2000 yet? Are we building up? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and do that. Are um, you sure? Yeah. No, no. Give me, I know you got two more things. No, no, no. I'm done. All right. Well, we can go back, but I, I'm, I'm sorry because this is my kid in the candy store moment. Mm-hmm. And we go from the year 2000 to 2001 and we have a unorthodox move, a, a move by Harley Davidson that some would call revolutionary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'm talking about the revolution engine, mm-hmm. which, uh, comes out in 2001. Um, Different. The, the V twin we talked about, we have, we have like, uh, there's a huge list of different types of engine designs mm-hmm. that Harley has had from, um, knucklehead, shovelhead, uh, all the way up, you know, the twin cam 88. That's a good one. Um, the revolution engine, however, is different because it is water cooled instead of air cooled. And instead of that iconic 45 degree angle, they went to 60. Why? It has four overhead cams rather than two in the crankcase. Mm-hmm. It's also fuel injected. Mm-hmm. And it also, uh, is a little bit smaller. Okay. But as, as to why that would, that would kind of be conjecture. I, I don't know. They, they, uh, ah, man. Yeah. Just moving on. That's all. I guess yeah, that's what I it wonder, is. I mean, I really, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just, uh, I mean, you, you try different things, you see how they work. Right. Fair enough. And it could just be another step in their, in their stuff. But you know, a lot of Harley riders are rather traditional about mm-hmm. that, which is, you know, one of the big things about Harley's when, when um, Roadkill is talking to us about the, uh, the customization, uh, you know, that kind of retro styling, mm-hmm. that kind of, that kind of, uh, road dog look. You know, uh, the road is, dog. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, it's a very, it's a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, as a result, you know, changes with that are, uh, risky. Yeah. So. I can imagine that. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, uh, it's slow to catch on, I think would be a way to say it. And not always. I mean, not I mean, always. Sometimes they love it, but, uh, sometimes it's slow to catch on. Hey, one, one other quick yeah. thing before we wrap it up here, cause I think I'm just about done. How about oh, you? Um, yeah, I, got, I, I uh, could go on, but uh, I won't. Yeah. I won't. Yeah. There's, there, I've got a, 20 page timeline here that if you went through every item, <laughs> yeah. good grief. It goes from 1900, you know, well, 1880s all the way through today. But, We'd be Harley stuff. Um, honestly, if, probably the last thing that I want to mention here is that you can go on a Harley Davidson factory tour. Yes. Which yes. is really cool because, you know, not many places will do this where they actually take you to the factory where they are still producing. Uh, still producing the, the production models. You can see how the sausage is made, so to speak. Oh, boy. I've been bad. that impression. Yeah, it's a mixed, it's a mixed comparison. <laughs> Not my best moment, but yeah, that's what people Gross. say. Yeah, most people don't want to see that. I want. I would want to see a, uh, a Harley um, Davidson <laughs> being built, though. So, <laughs> sorry, um, Scott. that's sorry. Right. He's kind of uh, kind of skeeved I, me out. I there made it gross. Skeeved me out. <laughs> did you say skeeved? Right. I did. Yeah. So you can go to uh, one of uh, looks like four different places here. It's mentioned on the website, so you yeah. can go to HarleyDavidson.com and find all this information. But um, mm-hmm. you can go to York, Pennsylvania, Kansas City, Missouri. Tomahawk, Wisconsin, or uh, the last one I'm going to have trouble with, but Menominee, 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 Wisconsin, and uh, you can 
I don't know, watch Harley Davidson's being built. I actually, you know, a lot of them are like, uh, you know, one is the powertrain operations. The other one is uh, vehicle and powertrain operations. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see different things happen at different places, different models being made. But um, they still have their uh, world headquarters, their corporate headquarters, which is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And that is located in, uh, let's see, Juneau Avenue in Milwaukee. And um, it's also the site of the original Harley-Davidson family home, which is, you know, where the shed was in 1903. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's the site of it. So um, I thought it was kind of interesting. A little follow-up on, you know, their uh, their location in the world here and, and some of the history that goes along with that. So, you know, yeah, big American company, a um, lot of history to it. I know we've just kind of glazed over mm-hmm. a lot of facts, mm-hmm. you know, within that. But, you know, we can you can tell we're already going along with this podcast. There's so much more out there. There is so much more out there, and we will be remiss if we don't mention the uh, the aftermarket too. While you're while you're on the Harley Davidson website, um, checking out the factory tour opportunities, also take some time to check out the descriptions of the models, the spec sheets. Yeah, well, they've got a little payment calculator, which is pretty common now mm-hmm. on a, on a lot of uh, vehicle websites. Um, so you can <laughs> see how you can see how you can make this dream happen. Yeah, I find, I'm not gonna lie to you; these are kind of expensive bikes. These are yeah, the new bikes. Pretty pricey. They're they're right up there with like a, a family sedan cost. I know, man. That's you know I'm cheap, bro. That's why I get glazed over it. <laughs> uh, get, the, get a used one. Get, can, yeah, get a used one because the market for these customizations after you buy after you have the bike mm-hmm. is huge. You oh, can do yeah. almost anything. Enormous, with them. and that points right to what uh, Chad had mentioned earlier. Yeah. Chad from Kansas mm-hmm. uh, said that you know. Take a look around when you're when you're in traffic or wherever you happen to be. You'll notice that you're not going to find two Harleys that are the same, mm-hmm. and that's because of this massive aftermarket customization that happens uh, just about in every case. And now that we've brought Chad Roadkill back, uh, we hope that you guys all enjoyed this. Uh, Chad, we hope we did right by you. Yeah, uh, we hope you got a little something out of it. I know he yeah. probably knows a lot more than we do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just kind of an intro, a, a primer to yeah. the Harley-Davidson history. Really. 101. Mm-hmm. And thus ends our 101 podcast. Guys, we hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed doing it. Um, we'd love to hear from you if you are for or against motorcycles and why. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, find us on Twitter, check out our blog. You can read these articles in depth on HowStuffWorks.com. And it doesn't have to be about Harleys. If you want us to do something else, just send us an email at CarStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. 
From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. Right, let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. <laughs> you can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Oh, oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 